Amen. Stand and go with me, if you will, in the word of the Lord. And uh, we're thankful for what the Lord's doing. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter number 6. Deuteronomy chapter number 6. I may be teaching what will be my least popular Bible study of all time tonight. How do you like that? It is a subject that modern Christians have very little stomach for these days. And uh, the modern model of Jesus as the heavenly boyfriend, at least that's the way I talk about it. It's uh, that's the way a lot of Christians are. He's just there for comfort and blessings, and that's about it. And, uh, but there has to be a biblical balance between reverence for God and his authority, his power, his purity, and understanding also his grace and mercy. And so tonight, I want to talk to you about the forgotten key to revival. Deuteronomy chapter number 6, verses 1 and 2. And then we'll drop down to verse 20 through 24. If you found it, say amen. amen. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that ye might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou, and thy son, and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Thou, thy son, and thou, thy son's sons. You know, I've, I've lived long enough to have some friends that uh, have changed their standard of holiness because their kids backslid. But that wasn't ever God's plan. Which I command thee, thou, and thy son, and thy son's sons. Verse number 20, and when thy son asketh thee in time to come, what mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? Notice what he said. I'm doing a little bit of teaching here because I'm afraid I won't get back to it. You live in such a way that your children ask. What does it mean, the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments, which the Lord our God hath commanded you? You notice at this time, it's mom and dad's religion, not the kid's religion yet. And when they ask and we answer, then it becomes theirs. Then thou shalt say unto thy son, we were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand 
And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and sore, upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all his hold before our eyes. And he brought us out from this. He might bring us in to give us the land which he swore unto our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always. See, preaching a little holiness already making it rain. For our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is today. Amen. I want to preach about the forgotten key to revival. Lord, I pray that you help me to teach this word tonight. I pray, God, let our hearts and our minds and our spirit be open to your word, to your presence. I ask you, God, for your anointing to destroy every yoke, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Give the Lord a good hand clap of praise as you're being seated tonight. When I was growing up in the dark ages, my family was not a timeout kind of family. I have never, ever in my life been given a timeout. My family wasn't a put-your-nose-in-the-corner type of family. My family was not a your-grounded family. I grew up in a uh, there's-the-belt type of family. I know, that's the dark ages. I, I understand that. The whole world was black and white. George Washington was president. There was no timeout chair in my house because you probably wouldn't be able to sit in it anyway. But I don't think my family was abusive either. My dad played ball with us, went to the park. We did stuff. But while I knew my dad loved me, there was a healthy amount of fear for him in my mind. I understood. I was taller than my dad by the time I was about 14. But that didn't change the healthy fear I had. I understood he had the ability to, re, to redirect me if he needed to. I know I probably should have been preaching this with our young folks in here, but they probably wouldn't understand it. That measure of fear taught me to watch what I say. The last whooping I ever got was because I didn't watch what I said to my dad. But I watch it even now. That measure of fear taught me to do what I was told to do. That measure of fear gave me limits and direction for my life. If my mom ever said, when your dad gets home, that was the end right there. We live in a strange society. We have more phobias and anxieties than ever 
yet there's very little fear. People are afraid of spiders and snakes and clowns. Little people, I have that fear. Germs, water, milk. You know there's people afraid of milk. There are over 500 phobias listed. Chorophobia is the fear of clowns. Astrophobia is the fear of thunder and lightning. So you might want to pray tonight. Trypanophobia is the fear of injections and needles. Mysophobia, the fear of germs and dirt. Ophidiophobia, the fear of snakes. Bibliophobia, fear of books. You know, there's, people are actually afraid of books. Dendrophobia, the fear of trees. Octophobia, the fear of the number eight. Venustrophobia, the fear of beautiful women. I should have had that when I was younger. I've named 10. Do you want the other 490 or you want me to move on? <laughs> You're afraid I'm going to do it, aren't you? My point is there's fears of everything. What you think is a silly fear to the person that has it, it's not silly at all. But at the same time that there are more phobias than ever, there also seems to be an absence of the fear of God in our society. If you pay attention, you notice that there are these no fear stickers on cars and hats and t-shirts everywhere. Our culture has invented a whole new genre of athletics called extreme sports. Sports designed specifically to challenge and overcome fear. Our children are exposed to so much stuff on television and media from the time they are small that they grow up to become jaded to many things. The scarier the event, the more people want to do it. A good old roller coaster isn't enough anymore if it doesn't drop 300 feet at 70 miles an hour and turn upside down eight or nine times. If it's just an old wooden roller coaster like the Zip and Pippin, nobody wants to ride it anymore. That's all well and good in its perspective, and I'm certainly not preaching against roller coasters tonight. I don't have a problem with people that want to skydive and bungee jump and base jump and all that. As long as they don't try to get me to do it, I'm fine if they want to do it. If you need a beneficiary for your life insurance, however, the church could use some building fund money. And if you get a life insurance policy, I may pay for your skydiving. That finally started sinking in, didn't it? I have no problem with those things if you're so inclined, but I have a problem with an epidemic that seems to be sweeping Christianity as a whole. I think that the vast majority of Christians or Christian movements, if you will, including many in the apostolic Pentecostal movement, have to a large degree lost a healthy fear of God. 
The book of Deuteronomy is an interesting book. It is, it's the last book in what the Jews call the Pentateuch or the Torah. It's the first five books of the Old Testament. It's called the law. The word Deuteronomy in the Hebrew means the second law. It was God's final instructions before they go into the promised land. He is reiterating the major themes of what you'll find in the first few books of the law. God is getting them ready for their promise. He's preparing them. Hey, sweetheart, you want to help me preach? <laughs> you do have a dress on, and it's a pretty dress, and I like your shoes too. <laughs> Mama, don't be embarrassed. That's, if you don't have kids in a church, you don't have a church. So don't be embarrassed, not one little bit. That said, if I don't get back to it, we won't get done, so... But God was getting them ready for the promised land. If he understands that for them to really inherit the land, that they need this second law, they need to get this, this word in them to make sure that when they get into the promised land that they don't lose all the things that God had given them. Can I tell you that I feel like we are very close to our promised land. I have a feeling that it's not going to be very long until the Lord takes us out of here. I'm praying, come quickly, Lord Jesus. It's my opinion that the trumpet's soon going to sound and the dead in Christ are going to rise first. But I think that we may be living in a Deuteronomy time period, if you will. A time when God is trying to get us ready for that time. He's letting us see all the stuff going on in the world so that that Holy Ghost, that Spirit of God that's inside of us, it triggers the alarm, I gotta be ready, I gotta be ready, I gotta be ready, I gotta be ready. We're living in this Deuteronomy time period just before our promise where he's giving us our final instructions so that we can cross over and hear him say, well done. God is trying to make sure that his church is ready to go over. The wilderness journey, I got good news for somebody, the wilderness journey is almost over. Hallelujah. The sojourn in this old world is nearly past. I remember my pastor Old brother James Ball, he, 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 was, he was old when I was a little kid, and uh, at least he seemed like he was, and uh, I remember him standing in that pulpit over and over, and his, one of his favorite sayings, and ones, one that impacted me the most, is that for some people, the coming of the Lord is a promise, and for others, it's a threat. I want to live in such a way that it's a promise. That when I lay my head down at night, I can say, come quickly, Lord Jesus, and feel comfortable in the coming of the Lord. I, want, I believe the Holy Ghost is getting us ready for that great day. Anybody believe that with me tonight? <laughs> Hallelujah. And so Deuteronomy is this, this, this approach of God to try to get them ready. Deuteronomy 6 and 2 says that thou mightest fear 
the Lord thy God, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God, to keep all his statutes. Now, now you know, this, uh, we live in a buffet society. I go into Harbor Freight sometimes in Oxford, and right next door to Harbor Freight is a workout place. Next door to the workout place is a buffet place. And I'm going to tell you that the buffet place gets a lot more business than the workout place. But God didn't give them a buffet option when it came to obeying the word of God. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes. Can somebody say all? All his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life. It's not get the Holy Ghost and be on fire for God when you first get born again and get baptized and then the longer you live for God, the more you start letting stuff go. It's not when you're on fire, live a certain way, and when you're discouraged, throw that out and live a different way. It's not live a certain way on Sunday and a different way on Monday, or live this way when you might run into church people at Walmart, but when you're on vacation, do whatever you want. I know I'm not preaching any of you, but somewhere out there, somebody probably needs it. He said, keep all his statutes, his commandments, which I command thee, thou, thy son, and thy son's sons all the days of thy life, on days that end in Y, and that thy days may be prolonged. Not just you, but your children and their children. God has designed his word to be multi-generational. Amen. The elders, the middle-aged, the young people, the children, the gospel's the same. The Bible doesn't change. And he said, not only, not only for you and your family, but also all the days of your life, what is it going to take to motivate us to keep the statutes and the commandments that he commanded us? What is it that will keep us and our children and their children living right all the days of their life? The first phrase of chapter 6 and verse 2 tells us that we might fear the Lord thy God. It is the fear of God that is essential to your family and your children and grandchildren living for God. Amen. I told you, I warned you at the start that it's one of the, going to be one of my least favorite, least popular Bible studies and that it's a subject that a lot of modern Christians don't have the stomach for. But there is a lot of Bible that talks about the fear of God. When I say the fear of God, I'm not talking about cowering in a corner from an abusive father just afraid that every little thing that I do, he's going to fall out of love with me. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I'm talking about is a healthy respect in my heart and my mind and my spirit that when I get the opportunity to veer away 
from the truth of God, the word of God, from holiness, from worship, from prayer. There is something profound inside of me that respects God to the point that there's some things I just won't do, I just won't say, I just won't go, I just won't wear, and just won't act that way. And the writer said that it's going to take the fear of God that we might fear the Lord to keep his statutes and commandments. The fear of God is essential to our families staying with the Lord. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Deuteronomy 6 and 20, And when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments? Daddy, why do you live the way you live? Mama, why do you live how you live? Why do we do this? Why are we different from them and them? Why are we different from Egyptians and and Syrians, and Moabites, and Je- Why are we different than Philistines? Why are we different? When your son asks you, can I say something that's going to sound offensive, and I don't mean it to be, but I don't know if I can say it without it being? If your children never ask you about holiness, there's an example issue. Well, praise God. I told you I didn't know if I could say it without it sounding offensive, but that's, but it's true. When your son, he didn't say if your son asks you, when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying what mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments, why do we live the way we live, which the Lord our God hath commanded you, They lived it in such a way that their children asked the question and the parents respected it to the point that the children knew it was a commandment from God. It's not just what my preacher says. It's not just my platform standard. It's not just what I have to do to be in the choir or play music or or whatever. It's not not just what what, what the pastor tells us we have to do. He said, you've respected it and lived it in in such a way that your children ask questions about it and they know that it's a godly command. Then, verse 21, then thou shalt say unto thy son, we were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt. We were slaves. Every day of our life was dictated by an evil taskmaster. We were in bondage in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. He showed signs and wonders. He delivered us. He set us free. He took wheels off the chariots. He he put a pillar of fire between, between us and our enemies. He caused manna to come down out of heaven and water to come out of rocks. When we were sick, he made a way for us to be healed. Our shoes never wore out. Our clothes never got old. Everyone that came out of Egypt was healed of their sickness. The Red Sea parted. All of this happened. The Lord showed signs and wonders, great and sore, upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and on all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from thence. 
You see, son, the reason that I live this way is because I was bound and God delivered me. I was lost and he found me. I had so much bondage in my life, but God worked miracles to get me off of dope or out of, off of alcohol or out of false doctrine. He delivered me out of false religion. He brought me out of dysfunction. He brought me out of abuse. He brought me out of all that stuff. He brought me out. He worked miracles to get my life turned around. That's why I live the way I live. Because if it wasn't for that, I'd still be in Egypt making bricks for Pharaoh. If it wasn't for God showing up when I couldn't deliver myself, my God, I feel the Holy Ghost here. I'd still be bound, but God brought me out. That's why I live the way I live. He brought us out from thence that he, oh man, I love this next phrase, that he might bring us in. He didn't just bring me out to leave me, but he's got a plan and a purpose for me. He's got a destination for me. He brought us out that he might bring us in to give us the land which he swore to our fathers. I'm going to tell you, he brought you out of drugs to get you into heaven. He brought you out of alcoholism to get you into heaven. He brought you out of false doctrine to get you into heaven. He brought you out of false religion to get you. He didn't just bring you out to get you out. He got you out to take you in. But part of that is that we recognize and realize that what he did for us requires that we reciprocate by living according to his statutes, his commandments, and his testimonies. Son, that's why. That's why we do it. You ask me why? God commanded us to do it. And it's our reasonable service for what he's done for us. It's not a burden. I'll tell you what a burden was, was the crack of Pharaoh's whip on my back. What a burden was, was when I was in the slime pits of Egypt making brick and I couldn't eat. And they took my babies out of my arms and killed them. Because Pharaoh gave it. That was what was wrong when I was losing my babies to the crocodiles in the Nile. That was, that was a burden. Me living for God and obeying the word of God, that's not a burden. Me worshiping him is not a burden. Me being faithful to the house of God is not. That's why we do it, because I was lost. And he, he brought me out. Woo, Jesus, have mercy. Oh, God, there's no way I'm getting through this Bible study tonight. Tell your children what I did for you to bring you out of slavery. Tell him what I did to Egypt and what I did to Pharaoh. Tell him that I saw with my own eyes God worked miracles to set me free. And that's why I live the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments. He brought me out to take me in. In verse 24, and the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes. To fear the Lord our God. Everybody say, fear the Lord our God. For our good always. It's always a good thing to have a healthy fear of God. Can I get an amen? Amen. It's always a good thing. He said to fear the Lord our God for our good always. Every time you're tempted, there ought to be 
a healthy fear of God in the back of your mind that says, I can't do that because it's for your good to have that. When you lose the ability to feel that conviction, to feel that check in your spirit, that's not for your good. It's always good. I know the modern generation doesn't want to have the fear of the Lord, but he said it's good for your good always, that he might preserve us alive. How many times has the devil tempted you and that alarm bell in your head, that Holy Ghost started going off and saying you better not do that and if you hadn't listened, you wouldn't be here right now. And some of you didn't listen and you went a long way out and suffered a whole lot of stuff and by God's mercy, you're back but you got the scars of the journey. There ought to be that thing in your head, in your heart, in your spirit that says, no, I can't do that. Because God's trying to preserve me alive. Is that what it says? To preserve us alive. God's trying to save you. The Lord God commanded us to fear him for our good, that he could keep us alive. Proverbs 16 and 6. I'm going to fly through some of these quickly because I, I got, man, I gave him, when, you get, when the pastor gives a scripture list and apologizes at the same time, you know you're in for it. Proverbs 16 and 6. God. He's God. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Mercy and truth. Not just mercy. Mercy and truth. You got to have truth preached to you. And applied to life. By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Psalms 19, 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. You hear that? The law, the word, the commandments of God are perfect, converting the soul. You can get an emotional experience with God, but if you don't get that word in you, you're not really ever going to be converted. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned. And in keeping of them, there is great reward. Great psalm, isn't it? Proverbs 1, 28 and 29. Then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For, they, for that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Folks, it's a choice. It's a choice. I'm going to keep, I'm going to run through some of these. Proverbs 2, 1 through 5. My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thy ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding, yea, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as hid treasures. 
why, why do we need wisdom and understanding and knowledge? Verse 5, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. You need wisdom and understanding so you can understand the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 9 and 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the holy is understanding. Proverbs 8, 13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogancy in the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. Proverbs 10, 27, the fear of the Lord prolongeth days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. Proverbs 14, 26 through 27, in the fear of the Lord is strong confidence and his children have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. Proverbs, or I'm sorry, Psalms 115, 13, he will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. I ran through those. You don't have me to get into all of them too much. But you get the, the fact that the Bible is a book that, that uh, validates the fear of the Lord. Look at 2 Kings 4 and 1. When a desperate mother needed divine intervention, look at what she used as her leverage for her request. 2 Kings 4 and 1, Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. And the creditor has come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. Prophet of God, I need you to do something. And the reason that I feel like I should get you to move is because you know that my husband feared the Lord. You say, well, pastor, every verse you've used so far has been Old Testament. We're living in the New Testament under grace. Okay, let's go to the New Testament. Acts 9.31. Then the churches had rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Did you catch that? They walked in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost and they were multiplied. They had revival because they had the fear of the Lord. Brother Daniel, that was a good catch. He reached out and grabbed, palmed her head. <laughs> that was a good one. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. Rest, peace. They had peace. Why did they have peace? They were edified. They, edified means to be strong, to be strengthened. Why? How did they have peace and be strengthened? They walked in the fear of the Lord. And when you walk in the fear of the Lord, you can have comfort in your spirit. I've often said, and I know I'm not the only one, the most miserable person in the world is a backslidden Pentecostal. Because they can't feel comfortable in the world. Because they know they don't belong there. And then they come to church and they condemn themselves because they know they're not living right. They can't be happy in either place. But when you walk in the fear of the Lord, you have the comfort of the Holy Ghost. And they were multiplied. Acts 5, I'm trying to hurry. 
Acts 5, 1 through 5, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. And Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, was it not thine own? It was your land. You could have done anything you want with it. After it was sold, was it not in thine own power? You could have done whatever you wanted with the money. Why have you conceived this thing in thine heart? Here's what happened. They sold a possession. They said, we're going to give all the money to the church. And why did they do that? If you read chapter 4, the end of chapter 4, Barnabas had sold a possession. And Barnabas had laid all the money down to help the church. And when he did it, the church, the church was so thankful to him that they saw it, and they said, well, we want some of that glory ourselves. And so they concocted this plan to sell the possession and keep back part of the price. Nothing wrong with that. There's nothing, there was no law that said you had to give everything. The problem was they said they gave everything. For self-glory they kept back they lied he said why did you conceive this in your heart you haven't lied unto men but you've lied to God and Ananias hearing these words fell down and gave up the ghost and great fear came on all them that heard these things verse 7 and it was about the space of three hours after when his wife not knowing what was done came in and Peter answered unto her tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yea, for so much. Is this what you sold the land for? Yes, that's what we sold it for. Then Peter said unto her, how is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead, carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. Notice verse 11, and great fear came upon all the church. I get it. And upon as many as heard these things. Now notice, look at verse 12. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Something about people regaining the fear of God released a supernatural anointing in that church, right? After that happened, great fear came on the people in the very next verse, by the hand of the apostles were signs and wonders wrought, and they were all with one accord. Verse 14, and believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of peter passing by might overshadow some of them there came also a multitude out of the cities round about jerusalem bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits and they were healed every one Fear of the Lord. I didn't get any amens there. Look, there's people who know full well how the Lord wants them to live. But they're carried away with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, the temptations of this old world. They've lost the fear of the Lord. 
their conscience seared, conviction subdued. I'm telling you tonight that what this world needs as much as anything is the fear of God. I'm not planning on having to drag anybody out. That's one reason I'm preaching this message, so we don't have to. But God, help us. That in a day and age where everything is allowed by this culture, where there is no standard, this postmodern world has, has watered truth down to nothing. But God, help our hearts and our spirit to have a healthy fear of God and a respect for who you are and what you are and what you've done that we pass on to our generations a love for your word and a love for the truth and a love for holy living and worship and prayer and evangelism and disciple making. Help us, God, to get a, a, a healthy respect for you that guides our daily lives, our words, our conversations, our choices, our homes, our families, our habits. Hebrews 12, 28, wherefore we, receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. The charge against us by many modern Christian movements is that we have no grace. But the Bible says, and I wish we'd all memorize Hebrews 12, 28. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Grace is not permission to live an ungodly life. Grace is what helps us to have the fear of God and reverence for him. One more verse, and I'm done. 2 Corinthians 7 and 1. Having therefore these promises. You know what? Let me go. I'm, I'm about to throw a curveball. I'm going to throw a curveball to, uh, to the good people in the back. I'm going to go back to chapter the end of chapter 6. I want to go to verse, if you have your Bible, you can go there with me. Go to verse number 17. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. Those are commandments. Everybody say, those are the commandments. Let me read them to you again. Come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, touch not the unclean thing. Say, those are the commandments. Here are the promises. I will receive you and will be a father unto you. 
and you will be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. There's commandments and promises. And here's what he says in, in the very next verse, 7 and 1. Having therefore these promises, what promises? I'll receive you. I'll be a father to you. You'll be my sons and daughters. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. If I don't cleanse myself from filthiness of the flesh and spirit, I can't inherit the promises. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. The forgotten key to a revival. God, help me to keep a healthy respect for you as my heavenly Father. I know you're merciful. I know you're gracious. I know you're kind. I know you're rich in mercy, and I know you're slow to anger. I know, God, that you are rich in mercy. But God, also help me to remember to respect you and honor you and to honor your word. You know, as a father, and I'm closing, I think that, that you know, my, my wife and I, we, are, we have two different views of where we are as parents. My wife wants to go back to when they're little and they needed her. She's a nurturer. That's her nature. That's what she likes to do. I'm loving it now. Man, I, I love. I'm just enjoying my girls. They're both, neither one perfect, but they're just fun for me to be around. Probably because I'm not the best nurturer in the world. <laughs> it's not as stressful for me. But when my girls come up to me and they, like, like last night, Kate was getting ready to go to bed. She has this whole regimen she does. She has to drink her tea and do her exercises and put stuff on her face. And what else, I don't know what all she does. I just know it takes a long time. But before she went upstairs to do all that, she came in. And I didn't say, Kate, if you don't come in here and kiss my cheek before you go to bed, Get this belt, and I'm going to whoop you. I didn't have to do that. Just come in, kiss me on the cheek, made me feel like a million dollars, and went to bed. If I had to, I could force her out of terror to do that. But it wouldn't mean the same. But I also know that when I say, Kate, stop. The other day, her and her sister were fussing. I opened my Bible app, and I started reading the fruit of the Spirit. And she realized which ones she wasn't showing. <laughs> God, help us. Why don't we lift our hands to heaven?
God, help me to have a healthy fear of God. Help me, God. By fear, I don't mean terror. I mean respect and reverence. That God, that I understand the price you paid on a cross, that blood that you shed, the suffering you went through so I could be saved. Help me honor that with reverence that keeps me living the way your word tells me to live. God, I don't want to worship you because I'm afraid of you, but I worship you because I honor you and I revere you. I don't serve you because I'm scared of you. I serve you because I honor you and reverence you for what you've done in me. And Lord, when my children say, Daddy, why do we live the way that we live? I can look at them and say that you brought me out of Egypt and you brought me out with a strong hand and you've asked me to live this way and I do it because I honor what you've done in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. Stay safe and come back Sunday ready for Holy Ghost Revival.